High school basketball recruits have historically been the lifeblood of college basketball recruiting for as long as I can remember. But folks, here's my question. Just how valuable are they now in 2023? You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, welcome into Locked On College Basketball, the only daily national college hoops show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and I want to thank you for joining us on today's episode of the show to get the best college basketball news out there. Man, it is a joy to be with you to wrap up the week here on Friday. Coming up on the show, we got some great stuff for you. We're going to be talking about the value of high school recruits in this current day and time. And then I want to look at John Rothstein's ACC offseason breakdown. Got power rankings ahead of the season, first team, all ACC predictions, player of the year, all that sorts of stuff. And I want to give you a list of who I think are some players to watch that maybe we're missing out on. But before we get to all of that, once again, I want to talk about the value of high school basketball recruiting right now. This is something I've been thinking about for quite some time because of everything that's going on with things like the COVID eligibility that we have right now. NIL, name, image, and likeness, and how that is changing the dynamics of college basketball recruiting. And then also the one-time transfer waiver, which allows players to transfer schools one time without penalty. All of these things are combining together to make what I think is one of the most treacherous times for um, college basketball recruiting in general and, and in terms of coaches. I don't see how they do what they do. Roster construction is miserable right now. But specifically, I feel like all of this is having a massive impact on high school recruits. Well, CBS Sports college basketball writer Matt Norlander, who does a great job, our guy Kyle Boone that joins us quite a bit here on the show, their co-workers, they work together. Well, Norlander recently wrote an article about this whole concept of what value do high school recruits have. And so I figured, hey, you know, it is a great time to talk about it right now. So here's the title of his article. Quote, how transfer portal NIL reshaping college basketball recruiting has dropped the value of high school prospects. So that's kind of the premise of this thing is all these things coming together has been a big negative for high school basketball recruiting. And that's not just some like academic uh, hypothesis. We're seeing that played out in the way coaches and others are recruiting, showing up for or not showing up for high school recruits, all of that. So for me, this is the hands down weirdest time in college basketball recruiting that I've ever been a part of. One of the things you need to know right off the bat in this conversation is that we've got two years left of COVID eligibility. The rising, you know, obviously there's people that are utilizing it right now. And then the rising seniors are the last class that can utilize it. So next season, the 24-25 season should be the last season where we have a whole bunch of COVID eligibility seasons being utilized. Um, I had a question recently about that, and I guess would be now as good a time as any to address, like how do next, how did the rising seniors this year have COVID eligibility? Because they weren't even in school in the 2019-20 season when the tournament was canceled. Well, that's true. 
They weren't. They were seniors in high school. But the NCAA granted that extra year of COVID eligibility because of how much the 2020-21 season was messed up and needed to be adjusted when the rising seniors were freshmen. And so that's why um, this class has COVID eligibility is because they were part of all that. So we've got two more cycles of that that plays into this. And as I've already said, Transfer Portal and NIL have contributed to all of this weirdness. So I just want to get into it and basically ask, this is the question that we're looking at right now. Would you rather have a kid fresh out of high school, regardless of how talented he is? And I know it. we need to break some of that down because that can be a factor. But at a general level, would you rather have a kid fresh out of high school or a kid who's already had a year or multiple years transfer out of where he was um, to spend at least one more year, if not multiple more years with you at your school, who is, you know, a player that has already found his way in college basketball. That, that is the question for me. That's at the crux of this. If I was choosing one year of a transfer with college experience, who is a good player versus the unknown of an incoming high school player who projects to be really good, but has never played a second of college basketball. Who would you rather have? So several talking points with this. We're kind of going to be all over the place with it. But number one, one of the things that I want to recognize is, you know, the the transfer portal has had so many numbers up in it. Um, That's going to continue. It just is what it is. But I do believe that not after next season, but after this, or not after this season, but after next season, the 24-25 season, I think we will see at least a, a small drop-off in the number of transfers. Why? Because that, once again, is when COVID eligibility will dry up. We will have gone through every class that has that fifth year available to them if they want it. And one of the things we've seen, the reason I think there will be a downturn in number of transfer portal entries is, is think about this. We've had a multitude of players who have said, Hey, I played four years for this school and and I loved it, but maybe, you know, we never made the NCAA tournament. So I'd love to transfer somewhere where I can just make the NCAA tournament once, or, Hey, this has been great. I've loved what I've done here at this undergrad, but I just want to go check something else out because I can. And I can transfer without having to sit out, right? And so that's where we're at. So we might see a slight downturn in transfer portal numbers at that point. But I think we'll also see an uptick in high school recruiting at that point. And I'll say more about that in a little bit. So for me, the answer is, the answer to my question, would you rather have a kid straight out of high school or a kid who's already got one or multiple years in college, I would almost always rather get a player on his second school out of the transfer portal because multiple things he's going to fingers crossed be more mature than a player coming right out of high school, assuming that he, you know, didn't just do something stupid at his old school. And that's why he's transferring. Um, But uh, another reason for this is, The one-time transfer rule is one time. You can transfer and play immediately one time. And so if I can get a young man who's coming to his second school, he's kind of stuck with me. You know what I mean? And so it's like, 
I kind of want the rebound boyfriend role at this point. Um, now, yes, players can transfer again, um, but if if they are a second time transfer, the rules are that they would have to sit out or get a waiver. And the NCAA has said this offseason that they're going to crack down on transfer waivers. We'll have to see it. Uh, you know, the, the NCAA has said things in the past before that you can't really take to the bank. So we'll have to wait to see what actually happens with cracking down on that. But but that's where they're at. Uh, I'll believe it when I see it. But again, I, I, I would almost always rather have these kind of free of charge guys coming over to me whom I would hopefully have for multiple years. Now, here's the thing as a coach. From a roster construction standpoint, if you get an incoming freshman class, maybe it's got four players, five players in it, you're almost guaranteeing yourself that you're going to lose one, two, maybe even three of those guys. Because there's no way in this day and age to maintain an entire incoming freshman class, get them each all the playing time that they feel like they are entitled to, which I know. I, I hear it coming out of my mouth and I'm not saying it's beautiful, but that's where, that's where it's at. Uh, so many of these guys have been the best player at every step along the way. And now they're like, Oh, I'm sitting on the end of the bench. Well, peace out. I'm gone. Right. That that's just where it's at. So Norlander, Matt Norlander suggests in his article that ultimately the, the kind of the premise here is that the value of a non five-star high school player has gone down in the past couple of years where we're still seeing high major schools, even mid major schools go after these top end five-star guys, but maybe leave alone some of the other players, because it's like, if you're just going to leave after a year, cause you're not playing or unhappy or whatever it is, let somebody else draft you, you know, maybe I'll recruit you a little bit so that when you're ready to transfer, we already have a relationship, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Let's see how that goes down the road. But, but that's, that's it. And so Norlander has done quite a bit of talking to other coaches, talked to a lot of them at Peach Jam last week. Um, and he talks about outside of Peach Jam, most coaches just aren't showing up for these high school events, um, at, le- at least in terms of, um, you know, I don't want to say nobody is, but the numbers are dwindling, are dwindling. And so, again, let somebody else go recruit player X and land them, have them for a year or two, and then, then maybe we'll bring them into my program for their last couple of years of school as somebody that's already gone through the ropes, somebody that's ready to contribute now. Maybe I'll still recruit them, but really it's just about creating a connection with them. Well, I want to tell you about a catch-22 with this whole thing that Oklahoma State coach Mike Boynton identified and how uh, that might play into all this recruiting stuff. I want to look at return on investment and what we can learn from some of the offers that schools are making. We're going to talk about all that in just a second. But before we do, I need to tell you that today's episode of Locked on College Basketball is brought to you by our brand new sponsor, eBay Motors. Hey, for a championship team, it's all about making sure that every single player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time that you need parts and accessories, head on over to eBay Motors. And with the eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure that every part you need fits right 
the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know that the part will fit or you get your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. And listen, my wife, her very first car was bought off at eBay Motors, and that was a long time ago. So you can only imagine how much it's in improved since then you can get all these parts love this so glad to be partnered with ebay motors friends get the right parts the right fit and the right prices on ebaymotors.com oh that's right ebay guaranteed fit is only available to u.s customers eligible items only exclusions may apply Hey, you everydayers, thanks again for making Locked On College Basketball your first listen or watch every day. I hope you've had a great week tuning in with Andy and I. We cannot wait to be back with you next week on Monday. Okay, I promised you a Catch-22, which, by the way, is a phenomenal book. Anyway, Oklahoma State coach Mike Boynton told Matt Norlander in this article that we've been talking about this, quote, high school recruits typically aren't ready to help your program right away. Actually, I didn't quote this. I just paraphrased this for myself. High school recruits typically aren't ready to help your program right away. But if they're not playing right away because they're not ready, then they're likely to leave because they're not playing. And so maybe you as a coach feel attention like, ah, this guy's not ready to play, but I need to play him because if I don't, he's going to leave and go somewhere else when I know that a couple years from now, he could be my best scorer or my best defender, whatever it may be. But the problem is if you play them just to keep them, you hurt your on-court product. And so if there's a player that you're like, not ready, not ready, can't play him, but I got to play him so I don't lose him. Well, you're going to hurt your on-court product. So you see the cycle of death there? If I start playing these guys that hurt my on-court product, then that goes down and I can't recruit the same level of guys. But the problem is if I'm recruiting these guys, sometimes they're not ready to go and I can't play them yet. But if I do play, you know, it's you hear the cycle. Okay, good. So what do you do? Well, the natural and obvious response is to just stop recruiting high school players or as many of them, right? Like, that's where you go. It's, it's like a baby out with the bathwater type situation. Think about the return on investment angle of this. You spend multiple years, in most cases, learning, growing a relationship with, developing a relationship with a high school basketball player and his kind of group, whoever it is. And that player may or may not come to your school. That player may or may not continue to grow at the same rate they have been thus far. But even if all that works out, he might leave after a year or two years. So what do you do? Well, again, think about that return on investment. You put all that time in to maybe or maybe not get this player back out of high school who may or may not be good. Or spend infinitely less time recruiting a transfer who could come right now 
and probably be one of the most, if not the most impactful players in your program. I think my return on investment is better in the transfer guy because he's older. He's a more mature basketball player, hopefully, right? And ready to go right now, has already got a couple years of college under his belt, doesn't have that adjustment period. It's a no-brainer, return on investment. You start to see the trend of Norlander's point of the devaluing of high school commits right now based on the offers that college coaches are making. For example, I kind of checked out uh, a blue blood like North Carolina. Looking ahead to the offers they've made in the class of 2025, they've made seven of them. Here are the the rankings, uh, ranges of rankings, I should say, for these seven players, which I took from the four main recruiting sites. So that, as always, would be 247, Rivals, On3, and ESPN. So the seven offers that North Carolina has out right now for the class of 2025, Cameron Boozer, ranked as high as one, as low as two. Koa Pete, ranked as high as three, as low as eight. Caleb Wilson, the range is four to six. Bryson Tiller, the range is five to 18. Isaiah Harwell, the range is seven to 12. Darren Peterson, the range is three to four. And Caden Boozer, the range is 13 to 32. So obviously Caden Boozer's in there because of his twin brother, Cam. And so you can kind of throw him out. And outside of that, no one is ranked lower at any of the four recruiting sites than Bryson Tiller's 18. And outside of that, you know, Isaiah Harwell is as low as 12th and everyone else is ranked in the top 10. Everyone that North Carolina has offered in kind of extrapolating this out for the class of 25 is a top 15 or better player outside of Caden Boozer who could move up. That just goes to show you things like, okay, Hubert Davis wants to attract this top flight high school talent. Outside of that, maybe he could find somebody in the like 40 or 60 to 100 range who could project to be a program guy. Or we're just going to go in with portal guys because they're proven and they can do it. And you even get the guys that that were missed on in high school recruiting because you're always going to have that. That's kind of where it's at. We're starting to see the strategy by who coaches are offering scholarships to. Part of the problem, part of the sadness for me in all this, if a coach isn't able to recruit, develop, and maintain high school recruits, how on earth do you build a program now? You're constructing rosters year after year after year. You're not building a program and developing those around you. Now, I know in college basketball, it truly is about the names on the front and the coach patrolling the sidelines because the players come and go every couple years. But you used to be able to count on certain players to be locked in at a school and and be there. And then it, it did become more than just the name on the front or the coach. It became about some of these players knowing that they'd be around for three, four, five years or whatever it was. But now you can't count on that. And that continuity is just gone. My biggest fear in all this is that we're going to lose the idea of college basketball programs. They're going to be gone. And I know, you know, Kentucky and Duke have been doing what they've been doing for a good while now with kind of renting players for a year and, and moving them out. But even 
even that has changed somewhat lately as John Calipari has dipped a lot more into the transfer portal, et cetera, right? So I, I'm just nervous that we're not going to have programs in college basketball. There, I know there are outliers. There are teams that, that aren't going into the transfer portal as much. There are teams that are retaining their guys. There are teams that are only developing through high school. So it's not completely gone, but it's going. Makes me sad. Here's another interesting wrinkle in all this is that we often now are seeing schools not utilize all 13 scholarships. I use North Carolina as an example. At last look, they had used 11 of their 13 scholarships for this upcoming season. Last I looked, UCLA had used 10 of their 13. Other teams aren't using all of theirs. Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, Baylor, Texas, Indiana, Illinois. At Again, at last check. All of them had more scholarship of, uh, availability to be able to use. So the, the the thing is, you don't again, you don't want dudes sitting on the end of your bench doing nothing but just waiting to transfer. Now, if you're Leonard Hamilton, the coach of Florida State, and you play ten to eleven guys on a regular basis, sure, utilize all thirteen of your scholarships. But if you're Kansas and Bill Self, who plays a short bench, the for example, the Jayhawks ranked 361st out of 363 teams in bench usage last year. So if you're going to Kansas or if you're Bill Self, you might only use 8, 9, 10 of your scholarships in a given year because you know that you're just not going to play guys 11 through 13, barring some catastrophic injury. And if so, your season's kind of kaput anyway, right? So you just do it. So... Another problem with all this in terms of the high school players being devalued, excuse me, is we have these two remaining years of COVID eligibility, this upcoming season and next season. The first couple years of that, those players utilizing their COVID eligibility did not count against your 13 scholarship quota. And so if you had a fifth year COVID guy coming back, you could essentially have him and 13 other scholarship players. But starting last year, the 2022-23 season and moving forward, those players do now count against your scholarship quota. And so what that does is there are fewer spots because there's more guys that are fifth-year guys playing, and that means fewer incoming freshmen have a roster spot for themselves. Does that make sense? And so these guys are getting weeded out or squeezed out when they otherwise would be playing. You hear me? You hear it? Go read Matt Norlander's article. Really good stuff there as well. I just want to continue to remind us that because of everything going on, we're not doing a great job building programs. And another part of that is that sometimes these freshmen are getting squeezed out in favor of the fifth year guys. So again, it's almost like we need to kind of take a wait and see Look at all this, what's going to happen over the next two years, and then how do things change once we get past the COVID eligibility era? Well, uh, John Rothstein, prominent uh, prominent college basketball voice, excuse me, over the summer is going to be putting out some off-season breakdowns of each conference. This week, he put out his ACC content, and I want to share some takeaways from that with you coming up in just a second. All right, folks, I want to look at 
John Rothstein's ACC offseason power rankings, along with other things he did. And I want to give you a list of some guys that I'm watching for that weren't named. Kind of no surprise, the top four teams in this power rankings were Duke 1, Miami 2, UNC 3, Virginia 4. That's kind of where things are at, not even just this year, but generally right now with the ACC. Quickly running down, Clemson 5, Virginia Tech 6, NC State 7, Florida State 8, Pitt 9, Syracuse 10, Louisville 11, rounding out the bottom four, Wake Forest, Georgia Tech, Boston College, and Notre Dame. Rustin's ACC preseason first team, I got really no quibbles with this. Armando Baycott from North Carolina, Kyle Filipowski from Duke, Norchad O'Meara from Miami, Blake Henson from Pitt, and Reek Reek Beesman, <laughs> Reese Beekman from Virginia are the five on that list. What I want to do here in just a second is give you a couple others who I think are worthy of uh, you keeping their eye on them that didn't quite make this preseason first team. But while we're there, let me just give you a couple other things. Rustin's ACC preseason sleeper team is Florida State. His ACC preseason player of the year is Duke's Kyle Filipowski. I think it should be an interesting, basically to me, preseason, it's either Filipowski or Baycott, who was um, last offseason's choice. But I think they're going to be the two main faces of the ACC this year going forward. So keep your eyes on that. Okay, let me give you um, 11 other guys that I believe are worthy of your consideration to be on one of these ACC first, second, or third teams when it's all said and done. I've just gone alphabetical by their last name after I created list. Uh, so again, um, Rustin's already given us five great names for the first team. I want to give you some others that that might be like kind of breakout candidates or, or guys that you might not already be aware of but that I think uh, are going to make a strong push in the conference this year. Okay, DJ Burns from NC State. When I talk about making a push this year, this dude literally could. He is massive load inside to have to contend with, um, but does a great job for the Wolfpack inside. Next, Hunter Couture from Virginia Tech. I know the Hokies kind of down last year. Couture kind of struggled a little bit. I think he'll have a bounce back great year. Next, R.J. Davis from North Carolina. I think he's going to benefit by having more um, backcourt definition with reclassified Elliot Cadeau being the point guard. R.J. being, I believe, the majority of the time the shooting guard should do him really well. Next on my list is P.J. Hall from Clemson. This dude is just a phenomenal basketball player. He's a load inside, kind of tenacious, great motor. Love to see him go. Next is one of his teammates, Chase Hunter. Does a great job for Brown, Brad Brownell's team. Florida, next, Florida State's Baba Miller. Really curious to see how he is able to kind of explode out this year. Next, and this is kind of an interesting one for me, is Syracuse's Judah Mintz. Judah Mintz is a phenomenally talented basketball player. Just struggled at times last year with decision-making or some other things like that. I think he'll make a big leap for his sophomore year. Curious to see how he responds to new coaching. And by the way, is Syracuse going to keep their zone going? We'll see. Uh, Next on the list, Mark Mitchell, who decided to come back to Duke. I think 
He is somebody worthy of keeping an eye out on. Uh, we already talked about NC State's front court. Let's go to their back court. Casey Morsell, watch out for him. And then uh, two other guys back to the front court is Boston College's Quentin Post. Um, he missed some time last year uh, with injury, but came back is is really good for Boston College. Somebody that I have enjoyed watch play. So keep your eye on him. And then the last person on my list alphabetically here is Duke point guard Tyrese Proctor. I, I didn't put Jeremy Roach on the list because I think that Proctor is just in position to have a monster sophomore year. So keep your eyes on him. Well, friends, that's it for today's episode of Locked on College Basketball. That's it for this week on Locked on College Basketball. Really appreciate you tuning in, as always, to be here with us. Please make sure, if you would, to subscribe to the show on YouTube, smash the like button, and leave your comments on these high school recruits and or everything with the ACC that we just talked about. You can follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnCBB. You can follow me at Isaac Shade. As always, I want to give my apologies to the lawyer family. Go Wildcats, and until next week, peace.